the Sleepers Podcast, episode two, week two of our little relaunch. This is G, aka Greg Waddell, and with me as always, my good friend Carter Elliott, Michael Carter Jr., the one and only cat. What's going on? G, what's going on with you? Happy holidays to you and everyone at the Waddell household, and also happy holidays to everybody listening out there, all 11 YouTube subscribers, we see you, but uh, anybody listening, happy holidays as well. Uh, G, hope you had a good time, enjoy the time with the family, and uh, let's get this episode underway. Yeah, same to the Elliots and the future Elliots. And if you're looking for more Carter Elliott wearing a bucket hat content, you can find that on said YouTube channel. Subscribe, Sleepers Media. Uh, Carter, first week of basketball with the NBA launching last week, and we're kind of in midseason form with college hoops, so there's tons to talk about. I think we want to start with college hoops tonight. We're going to get into Michigan State more in detail. We're going to get into Michigan more in detail tonight. But first, I think we should talk about where we kind of stand across the country. I think we learned some things this week, especially off of that Gonzaga-Virginia game yesterday. And the number one question that I have and that I've heard from a couple other people is, is this truly a year where this is Gonzaga versus the field. Yeah, um, I think that, like you said, G, coming off non-conference play and like going into these games, teams get into conference play finally, I think it's kind of a time where you can really start making lists and kind of separating like the pretenders from the contenders. Um, and, it, it, you know, it, it's easy to try to nitpick at Gonzaga. Um, just them being the number one team, uh, naturally them playing in like, you know, the WCC and just naturally people want to nitpick at Gonzaga and kind of put their wins to the side. But when you look at it and when I really look at this team, I would not be surprised to see them go undefeated the rest of the way, to be honest, especially with some weaker teams coming up in their schedule. This team is a well-oiled machine and they got a lot of game and they're very well coached. Um, and if I was taking bets on, you know, taking Gonzaga or the field, in, a, in another year, I might take the field, but I'm really taking Gonzaga this year, I think. Man, I just think they're too high-powered, to be honest. I think they're too good. Yeah, they they definitely passed the eye test as one of the best teams from the last decade. I think they compare in a weird way to the Carl Towns Kentucky team that was undefeated through the regular season, and you know, it felt like that team had 10 starters. I think this Gonzaga team has six legitimate starters that – might be the best player on most other teams in the country, even most other high major teams in the country. Um, I've been seeing some concerns on Twitter from people that are just skeptics of Gonzaga that probably don't watch a lot of their games. That's just like, well, they don't play anybody. That's just not true. They have one of the hardest non-conference schedules in the country this year. They passed the Iowa game and the Virginia game with flying colors. The Baylor game got canceled. I don't know if that's going to be rescheduled, but quite honestly, I, 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 you know, I really want that game to be played, but I honestly kind of don't mind if it doesn't at this point, because I think that could be sort of the the big meal at the end of the day that we're saving up for and we're building up to. And it might be a game that comes in the final four card. Yeah, very true, especially because uh, there's a saying and it might I might be saying it wrong, but it's hard to beat a team twice. So, you know, it could be a situation where, let's say Gonzaga does lose to Baylor that game. You know, they can look back at that game. They can make adjustments. I mean, when they're meeting for the first time, if it's, let's say, it's in the Final Four or the championship game, that's one game, take all. The best team on that day wins. And I'd much rather have it that way than, you know, them playing earlier in the year and then a team capitalizing maybe on some mistakes that they made in the game they lost earlier in the year. So, uh, but Baylor, I think, is the biggest contender to Gonzaga in my eyes, or one of them, I would think, the top contender. But this Gonzaga team is just really – Really goddamn good. 
So I made an enemy of Gonzaga Bulldogs <laughs> fans on Twitter this week, and it, I, I'm no stranger to making enemies on the internet. You know this, Cart. But this time, I don't think that I deserve it. I want to run this by you. I All I did, all I said was that Gonzaga only has two top 10 players in the country. Now, those two that I was referring to were Jalen Suggs, freshman phenom, in my opinion, the second best freshman in the country right now behind Kate Cunningham, and Drew Timmy. I left off Corey Kispert, who is Gonzaga's leading scorer, who, while a super productive player who's had a great start to the season, he's not an NBA talent. Mm. Well, he probably will play in the NBA, but he's not like a lottery pick type guy. Um, I've honestly started to come around a little bit after watching that Gonzaga-Virginia game. And Kispert's been out of his mind. He may deserve legitimate top 10 player in the, t- in the country, um, I guess, labeling at this point. But do I really deserve people on my ass for that? I just said they no. got two, not three. No, no, no. You don't deserve that. And I think that just points to how goddamn good Gonzaga is. Like, Kispert is, like, I would say the third. To me, I, I don't want Gonzaga on my – Gonzaga Nation on my ass, too. But, I mean, I'm not insulting him by saying I think he's the third best player on that team to me behind Timmy and Suggs. But that's how good that team is. But also shout-out Zags Nation because y'all ride for y'all players because G tweeted it out, and, like, five minutes later he had all the WCC on his ass just tweeting him about how he's leaving Kispert out. And Kispert's a good player, but I think you could make an argument he's outside top ten players in college basketball. I don't think that's out of line. We have a segment coming up later where hopefully I'll redeem myself for Gonzaga fans with a little Corey Kispert love. But uh, yeah, Carter Carter wanted to push me to tweet that Spokane sucks and really double down on the Gonzaga hatred, but I avoided it. So no enemies here, Gonzaga. I believe in you guys. In fact, they are at the top of my list of teams whose stock went up this last week, which is absurd because they were already the number one team in the country. Everyone knows that. Fans that barely watch the sport know that. Experts know that. Everybody's impressed by this Gonzaga team. But of all teams this past week, I think their stock went the most up. They went into the Virginia pack line defense, who typically wants to hold teams under 60 points. They hold really good teams under 60 points every year. They've been doing it to Duke and North Carolina pretty much every single game for five, six years now. And what Gonzaga did was pour 90-plus on them with, I would say, even minimal effort. It just looks so easy out there. And at this point, I'm wondering if you have to just outscore Gonzaga, but there's no team in the country that has the firepower to do that. That's what I'm saying. It's going to take a – I think it's going to take a perfect play, but also a perfectly coached game to beat a Gonzaga team. And, you know – it's kind of discouraging because if I'm, you know, looking at great coaches and great game plans, I think Tony Bennett is one of those great coaches who can do that. I mean, he plays, you know, in a tough ACC conference, typically tough ACC conference, really down this year. But, um, yeah, you're, you're going to have to have a perfect game, perfect game plan to beat this Gonzaga team. And I don't think outscoring them is going to work. They got way too much firepower. So I really don't know what necessarily needs to be done. Um, but, you know, you got to have something ready for them boys. Yeah, and I think I'm trying to think like what's going to bring this team back down to earth. And honestly, Kispert just shooting more in line with his career averages versus what he's done through the first month of the season is probably the only thing that's going to change. I mean, Andrew Nemhard started the season coming off the bench. I'm not sure if he still is. Uh, but he, to me, is their fourth best player. Joel Ayayi was a guy preseason you and I were both super high on, thought he could potentially be their best player. He's probably their fifth best player right now which you just compare that. Like if Joel Ayayi is really Gonzaga's fifth best player, he's as good as most teams' second best player in the top 10. 
Right. I think he's a first. I mean, we've talked about this before. He's a first round talent to us. And that is, like you said, their fifth best player this year. And then even go down even further. They got glue guys like Anton Watson, who hasn't even played to a level which I think he can play this year. So even if you say like guys could come back to earth like a Kispert, I think there's guys on Gonzaga who can play even better and step up if a Kispert falls off or maybe a Timmy or somebody, somebody else's stats fall off. They got people behind them who can step up. I mean, you got Nephard who was starting at Florida, correct, for a couple of years? Yep. Yeah, like he was that. their best player for two years. And was their best player. And they just got that. They just, You know what I'm saying? They got a little ace in the hole back there if something goes wrong. That team is crazy. Right. And I think when comparing them back to that Carl Towns, Kentucky team, to me, the biggest issue with that Kentucky team and a lot of John Calipari teams is that guys never settle into a comfortable role because it's so competitive. You're worried about doing the most with your 20 minutes a game and any given night. You don't know if you're really going to be on the floor in crunch time. Gonzaga doesn't have that problem. They've got their six guys. They're all incredible. They have three legitimate potential All-Americans. The WCC first team is going to be Gonzaga's entire starting lineup, and rightfully so. And they're all getting 30 minutes a game, and they're comfortable with it, and they know their role, and they know who should get shots at what time in the game, and they balance it out, and it's really impressive. Yeah, true. It is. And do you like know for a fact that all their guys are getting over 30 minutes a game, like the main guys? I don't know that, but I think Watson's over 20, and I'm pretty sure all the rest of them are near 30. Okay, so I mean, even, even I'm just trying. I'm trying to. Here's me trying to nitpick at Gonzaga. Like maybe they run out of fuel, but they got guys that can, you know, back it up. And you know, with these weaker teams, they could rest guys as well. So, I mean, if they stay healthy and stay on the path that they're on, uh, this Gonzaga team is going to be real. They're they're tough to beat now, but man, they're going to be. They could possibly get even better going, you know, further into the year. So it's uh, it's scary. Do they lose a game before March? I say no. I say no, too. I, I just don't know who they lose to. Yeah, and I don't even got to look at the schedule, to be honest. I just say no. Right. I mean, it, the last, we're not going to make this a whole Gonzaga thing, but, I mean, I think Kansas is one of the best teams and one of the better teams in the country, and they may mince me to Kansas. To be, I mean, Kansas kept it close. They brought it back, uh, you know, for a close game, but Kansas is also one of the better defensive teams in the country, and they couldn't stop Gonzaga. And then you have Virginia, who's one of the better defensive teams in the country, and they can't stop Gonzaga. So it's, I mean, I'm, I don't know. Maybe you just can't stop Gonzaga. So I'll say, no, they don't lose. Yeah, and Gonzaga, I think, had a five-point win against West Virginia. Iowa was a 20-point blowout in the first half before Iowa cut it closer in the second half. So just honestly as impressive as you could be if you're a Gonzaga Bulldogs fan right now. Um, it'll, be, it'll be very interesting. I honestly think if Vegas were to give that out as a bet right now, it would probably be like even money for Gonzaga to win the national championship versus the field, which is crazy. Nice. Now, however, I think that's a little disrespectful to Baylor. And we don't need to get too far into it. But to me, Baylor's done nothing to disprove that they are that caliber of a team. They just haven't played. They haven't played. That's we'll learn more in a couple weeks. But yeah. I've got – I have Gonzaga 1A, Baylor 1B right now. You don't like that. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think – I think – I'm sorry. I think Baylor is two. Like, I okay. think Gonzaga is one. Like, one by themselves. They know 1A, 1B. I think – that Baylor is two, uh, but I need to see. I need to see a little bit more. I mean, they haven't played in a while, man. Like, yeah, true. Um, all right, let's move on to the one other team I have in my stock up category from this week: the Northwestern Wildcats, the infamous Boo Booey hashtag Nightclub Boo. 
once again, hitting step back shots in crunch time of a Big Ten game. Northwestern just went 3-0 and in a seven-day span. They are undefeated in Big Ten play. And it might be time to stop laughing when I do my daily picks and I see that Northwestern's a one-point favorite against decent teams now. Yeah, uh, I, you got to put – I mean, they earn the respect. You got to give them their respect. I mean, Boo Boo is playing out of his mind uh, that he can really, really, really go. And I thought, like, maybe it was just him just, you know, killing Rocket Watts and Josh Langford because apparently if you're a guard or a point guard, you want to play against Michigan State because you're going to get yours. Uh, CC Demetri Trice, but uh, no, nah, them boys are playing really, really well, and they're and they're you know they're making plays on the stretch. Like I think one of the main things is like when you look at a team like Northwestern or a team that we think less of, you think down the stretch they maybe keep games close, but when it gets in that last like or that last under eight timeout, they'll fall apart coming out of that timeout, or you know what I'm saying they won't make enough plays down the stretch to get that win. But when you have big-time players like Boo Booey, and, you know, they're even getting good play out of uh, Young Nance, too. So, I mean – Miller Cop, Bucket. Yeah, so they're just making enough plays down the stretch to close out games, and you got to give them credit. They're playing really well. I'm sorry I said that Northwestern stinks. You don't stink. Yeah, I, I'm also sorry for saying that you stink. You're fine. I think you're, <laughs> you're a middle-of-the-pack Big Ten team, which I said this in Daily Picks. It's a huge accomplishment for the Northwestern basketball program. It really is. I mean, if they're not a cellar dweller, that's something that their fans probably treat like we treat going to a sweet 16. Like <laughs> that's exciting. Yeah. Um, I think they're a for sure tournament team. I think Miller cop should be an all big 10 guy. Like you said, Nance is playing well. Chase Audige to me is a, a total difference maker for Northwestern that kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, I believe he transferred in. I forget where he transferred from actually, but double digit scorer, they're just more well-balanced than they were previously. I kind of thought going into the year, this was just going to be Miller Cop and nobody else. And mm -hmm. I think their talent across the board, at least in the starting lineup, stacks up well with those middle-of-the-pack Big Ten teams. So yeah. I got my eye on you, Northwestern. Yeah. Actually, I can't take that back. I still think they stink. <laughs> you can. All right. Do you think they make the tournament? I, I, I still think they may fall apart down the stretch. Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's my, I'm going to chalk this one up to a little COVID magic or a little little funky year magic. I think Northwestern needs to come back to earth and be the stinky Big Ten team they are eventually. All right. So that, I mean, I think that might say more about Michigan State, Ohio State, Indiana then. Their three wins this week. I guess so, man. I guess so. So let's, let's move to stock down. Top of my list is MSU. We're going to do a whole MSU segment for like 10 minutes or so in just a second. Um but, I, I mean, it's very clear at this point Michigan State is not what we thought they would be preseason, right? Uh, I, I don't know. We, we kind Right of, now. Okay, right now, yes. I mean, uh, there was a lot of uh, chatter from me, me even personally after that Duke win, and we had a pretty good win at Notre Dame. Um, people tried to tell me that we were having some lulls against, you know, teams like U of D, in Western Michigan, and I was like, nah, we're just, you know, we're just shaking them dudes off, you know, we're just playing our game, that's a get-your-stats-up type game, we ain't got to worry about that, but uh, there are some legit concerns about this team. Um, save them, me. save them, we'll get to Michigan State in a second, let's do the last stock down team for now, Kentucky, and we have to make mention of Kentucky, uh, okay. the whole John Calipari thing this week. Go down? Can their stock really go down if it's already down? I, I, we have to at least address it on the pod, right? The Cameron Fletcher in, incident? Yeah, we do. Um, you, you can go first. 
So if you haven't seen it, which if you're listening to this, I assume you have seen it, but John Calipari basically suspended Cameron Fletcher, who is a, I think, top 60 freshman recruit this year. He was a four-star guy, kind of the guy that if you look back at the last 10 years of John Calipari's recruiting classes, they're the guys that get swept under the rug and never really get the opportunity. And they usually end up transferring out or, um, you know, maybe they stay four years and work their way into the rotation as an upperclassman. But if you are uh, the 60th ranked freshman and you're expecting playing time at Kentucky, you're just not going to get it under John Calipari. That's been historically proven. Now, I don't know what Cameron Fletcher expects this year, other than to your point, you've made this many times, Cart. Kentucky's awful. They're absolutely horrible. So if he's riding the bench for 35 minutes in a game, and they're just turning the ball over and missing wide open shots and making defensive confusion mistakes. I mean, that's got to be really frustrating for a guy who thinks he could contribute. Yeah. And, and like you said, I made this point kind of many times before Uh, there's, there's no, you know, excuse for Cameron Fletcher doing what he was doing. You cannot make a scene. I don't care what happens. You cannot break down on the, on the bench. You cannot make a scene about not playing as a, even though you're, you know, a young man, you're still a man and you're a young man and you can't be doing things like that on the bench. But at the same time, if the team's out there not getting it done and you're sitting on the bench and you're like, what the hell? Like, I can't do what he's doing right now. Like, I can't be mad at him because if I had to watch Terrence Clark do what he's doing, been doing these past couple games, I'd be like, damn, man, I can go out there and do that. Especially with a guy like Cameron Fletcher because actually – don't know if you know this, G, but he was on Michigan State's radar. Izzo was, was. On, him, on him pretty heavy, and I did think there was a small chance that he would come to uh, Michigan State, but he's a player who's high motor, high athlete, not really sure if the skill matches up to a Kentucky-level wing or guard, uh, especially with what they had. But, you know, uh, I just I, – I see where he's coming from, but he can't do that, but – I think that we can both agree, agree on G that I don't know if Calipari really handled this the right way necessarily. And I know, I feel like we talked about this and you don't think he did. Have you ever cried on the bench? Have I ever cried on the bench? Yes. No. Okay. I you mean, can't, you can't cry on the bench, man. And you can't I, cry on the bench. And he, he cried on the bench. That's what happened here. Yeah. So I, I actually think it's an awful look for Calipari to air him out publicly the way he did. But Calipari does a lot of things that I would categorize as awful looks. So I'm not surprised by that. Like that's on brand coach Cal for me. I think he's totally lost control of this team. I think he has understood now that the train is off the tracks and I think he's ready to watch it crash and burn. I don't think if this happened two weeks ago when they were one and two, that Cal handles it this way. I think he handles it this way because they're one in five. I think he's looking at their schedule thinking there's no way I get this team to the tournament. And I think he's ready to cut ship with everybody. I mean, he cuts ship with them anyway, right? Because they either go to the NBA or he brings one guy back from any given recruiting classes. So, and and honestly, I think it could even get worse because if I'm a guy like BJ Boston, I'd be like, I wanted five. Damn, my hips starting to act up. I'm feeling a little something's going on. I don't know if I want to risk it. I might as well just put my name in and dip out because he ain't doing nothing playing for a team that ain't even going to make the tournament in a team where the talent around him is subpar, which I which is really uncharacteristic of a Calipari team. Yeah. Um, so I mean, is a guy like BJ Boston, who I was very high on going to the year, I think unfortunately he's hurt his stock a little bit this year. 
He has. Yeah. I mean, no doubt. I think the NBA people that we've talked to, um, the few that we know through the locker room app have definitely. I was going to say, that. look at us talking about NBA people. That yeah. I, I didn't mean that as a name drop. I literally could, I mean, I'm not going to do that, but there, there are people that have been very open that Boston has heard his stock. So yeah. take that for what you will. Um, do you think, I mean, any chance Kentucky turns this around? No. I don't think it's any, I think there's zero chance. I think they're, they are who they are. Um, I, I mean, they would need like a, a runaway finish in the SEC to make the tournament even at this point, right? They're not getting in with like 14 losses. No. They've got no, six. They'd have, they'd have to go on a run of all runs. And uh, I don't think they can do that in SEC either. So, yeah. Me either. I'm with you. All right. So let's, let's go back to the Spartans. It's time to have the conversation. Carter, 0-2 this week. Uh, the loss to Northwestern at Northwestern, which actually does not look nearly as bad as it did last week when we recorded our podcast, mm-hmm. followed by a loss at the Breslin Center at home to a really, really good Wisconsin team. Um, I want to throw it over to you first to give your take, but uh, I actually have some thoughts that might surprise you about where Michigan State is at right now. Okay, do you want me to go first? I want you to go first, but I wanted to give that little teaser. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so first off, uh, we were playing Wisconsin, uh, a team, Greg, that, you know, we watch, you watch your Michigan uh, Wolverines play them. You watch the Spartans play them. You watch a lot of Wisconsin basketball. Yes. What is one thing they don't do well? They don't score the ball well. Am I right? Well. Historically, 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 when Wisconsin plays, they're in the, they're low scoring games, correct? Oh, yeah. I don't think that means that they don't score well, though. They play a slow tempo. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Bad choice of words by me. They don't score a lot. They score very efficiently and they score well, but they don't score a lot. Correct. Uh, I've seen games where we play Wisconsin and they score 45 points or 50 points in the whole game. We gave that up in the first half. Um, And honestly, a lot of the buckets were just Wisconsin players making better plays and being better than Michigan State players. Josh Langford was getting exposed on defense. Um, Rocket Watts again was getting exposed on defense. Even Aaron Henry was had some defensive breakdowns as well. Um, I think really the accumulation of the game was uh, I'm definitely less mad at this game than I was at the Northwestern game uh, because, you know, we didn't play the best game. Um, we only had 13 turnovers, 14 turnovers but they scored about 30 points off those turnovers at least. I don't know the exact numbers, but they capitalized, and they and that's what good teams do. They capitalize off turnovers. Uh, when you're playing a good team like Wisconsin, you can't make mistakes and let them capitalize on it. And I think the main takeaway from this game for me is that I need to give Wisconsin their flowers. Wisconsin's really good. Um, they got a lot of guys who are two years younger than me, and I'm 27. Um, so, <laughs> you know, they got a bunch of men's league players out there, but they're – damn good ones uh so they got a lot of fifth and sixth year seniors and they're they're really good but you know what's going to happen though everybody's going to come back next year i want to i want to make that a sleepers back prediction right now wisconsin will bring back four starters minimum from this team next year wait from this team so from this final four team from this wisconsin final fours I'm not saying they're going to go final four. I I have come around. I was a huge Wisconsin skeptic. I now think they're clearly one of the 10 best teams in the country. They got to be the big 10 title favorite at this point. Um, 
and and they're just good, right? They're experienced. They've all been through the ringer. They they all shoot the ball well. They all defend well. You have to go out and beat them. And I honestly thought, I said this last week, you needed a big performance from one guy. Joey Hauser gave you that performance. 27 points, 7 of 9 shooting, 3 for 3 from 3, 7 rebounds. I thought that was the best Joey Hauser has played in a Spartan uniform. I thought if I saw that box score, I would say, oh, yeah, Michigan State won this game. I truly would have thought that. But Wisconsin's better than I even thought they were. I mean, they took the air out of that Michigan State team in the second half after I thought Michigan State threw every single punch they could in the first. It was a tie game at half. Um, and I do I feel better about Michigan State after this loss, as crazy as it sounds. I mean, they're 0-2 in the Big Ten, which is something you rarely ever see from a Tom Izzo team. But you can't count this loss against them, I don't think. I don't think that's a game they're supposed to win based on how well Wisconsin played. And I think if anything, that showed that they can hang step for step with the best team in the Big Ten for a 20-minute stretch. I truly didn't believe that going into this. And I took a lot of shit, by the way, from one of our OG listeners, Tammy. Tammy, I know you're listening to this, and I hope you text me after this because I I am not coming in with an agenda to just rip on Michigan State. I swear I'm not. But I haven't been impressed with what I've seen for the last three weeks. And the first half against Wisconsin, to me, is the best half of basketball Michigan State has played all season, even including the Duke wins. And it made me more confident, like, at very least, this team will figure it out in Big Ten play. And I do I do believe that's where they're at at this point. Yeah, and even, I mean, even the point to them playing, like, you know, to the end of the game with this team, there's a there's a point in the game. I think at the second half when we came out, we were up nine. And I was like, okay, let's put our feet on these dudes next and let's end them. And credit the Wisconsin and them being, you know, the old team, the good players that they are. They're not rattled by that. They're, you know, they're saying they just regroup. Demetri Trice took over the game by himself. Like credit to them. Uh, so I think, like you said, G, like. Um, of course, like as a Michigan State fan, like I'm salty as hell. Like we're 0-2 and we can't win in the Big Ten. And we lost to two Under Armour sponsored teams. Like no disrespect, shout out Tej. But that's like a slap in the fucking face. Um, it hurts. But at the same time, you just got to kind of just take that licking and maybe hopefully we learn from it and just give Wisconsin their credit. Like they, they got it done. They're good. You're welcome, Sean, if you're listening. Wisconsin's good. Yeah, if if Michigan State were to lose at Minnesota, which if you're listening to this, it's probably the day of that game. We're recording this on a Sunday night. If Michigan State loses that game and they're 0-3 in Big Ten play, then I think you put your finger on the panic button. You don't press it, but the finger's on the button. Oh, right okay. now, right now, the finger's not on the panic button. So if we're recording this on Sunday. If you're listening to this tomorrow, and maybe <laughs> you're by chance listening to it after the Minnesota game, if we lose, um, this was fun. Um, I enjoy doing <laughs> these segments. I enjoy talking to Greg and everyone about basketball, but this will officially be my last episode if we lose to Minnesota. That's <laughs> I'm it. not letting that happen. Also, I tweeted this, and I got some educated responses from people, but why didn't Tom Izzo recruit Demetric Trice? He's okay, a legacy so I, guy. I have an answer for that. Cassius Winston. I get it. No, they no, no. That's, that's actually not it. Oh, what is it? That's not it. Okay. Um, I think that you can't really put this on Izzo because Demetri Trice is a dude who at the time coming out of high school was a kind of lower level player. I think, I believe he ended up doing a prep year actually after high school and he registered his freshman year at Wisconsin. So he's had a lot of time to develop, I think. 
and Izzo kind of loves guys to take a lot of time. Josh Langford's awesome. 25. Josh Langford took a lot of time because he's got glass feet. Like it's not, <laughs> Demetrius Trice had to take his time because he's a little boy. Is Josh Langford the only McDonald's All American with glass feet in McDonald's history? Well, yeah, glass feet. He came in with mono. He went bald. Like he had a lot going on, man. Okay. Like, okay. God, you. Man. I'm just saying. I, I'm just saying that if Demetrius Trice were on this Michigan State team right now, that would solve every problem they have, other than the center position, right? I mean, then Rocket slides down to the two. I'd much rather have Nate Reavers than uh, <laughs> Demetrius Trice. I would have loved to see Demetrius Trice in Michigan State uniform, but you can't have everything you want, folks. Uh, Michigan State is at Minnesota tomorrow or today, probably if you're listening to this. Or a couple days ago, if you're listening to this, at the end of next week. So, looking forward to that game. And I think, can we call it a must-win for Michigan State at this point? Yeah, and let's uh, let's hope Marcus Carr doesn't go for 40. (laughs) He may, but they can win that game even if Marcus Carr goes for 40. This is going to be a grinded-out classic Michigan State win. I'll go on record with that right now. I'm confident in that. All right. I respect that. All right, let's go. Let's go across the state to them boys from Ann Arbor, the undefeated Michigan Wolverines, the first place in the Big Ten Michigan Wolverines, who on Christmas Day went to Lincoln, Nebraska, one of the furthest road trips in Big Ten play, and came away with a double-digit win with a twenty-point output from Franz Wagner, who we've been ripping on all year. So I. I'll throw it to you, Cart. You tell me what I'm supposed to think of this Michigan team at this point. Um, I think we need to uh, – I know you're going to hate this, but do we? I think we got to wait and see another week or two on Michigan. Uh, they're doing what they need to do. They're winning, <laughs> they're winning games. You can't get mad at them for that. They're undefeated. Uh, they're doing what they need to do. Um, but I think that we need to wait and see another week before I really give you my actual mission. Nothing is going to change in a week, Cart. Okay. And also, shout out Adrian Nunez. He just went over 2.7 million followers on TikTok. Uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't say shout out to him. Keep dancing. Keep doing what you do. Hey, maybe uh, we should get Adrian Nunez to sponsor the pod, or even better, on the pod. That'd be helpful, right? Yeah, well, he, he okay, but also he don't want to see my TikTok drafts. I got the moves and I got the Corvette. <laughs> so here's here's the problem, Car. Michigan this week goes at Maryland on Thursday. They are home to Northwestern on Sunday. If they go two and zero in both of those games, we're gonna come back here next Sunday night, record the next episode, and you're gonna tell me we still gotta wait and see because they haven't beat anybody. Oh, uh, that's not what I'm. You know say. that. You know that's true. I mean, yeah, but I got it's different though. I got an agenda. Well, that's not I thought we were going objective. I thought you gave yourself flowers for being objective, and that's what we were trying to do. New wave cart. Just because Michigan State loses a couple, we gotta lose all objectivity. All right. Okay, you're you're right. Okay. Let me let me take this time. Michigan is really they're doing what they need to do. They're winning games. I think they got talent. I mean, we can I mean you can talk more about it, but like Hunter Dickinson is really, really good. Um, you know, they still got livers, who I think can play to even another level. Uh, Sean D. Brown was a really underrated kind of, you know, grad transfer. Not a lot of people talked about it necessarily. I think Mike Smith was more of the highly sought after or more of the highly talked about grad transfer. I think even Mike Smith has been better than I expected. Uh, there's been a lot of guys have been better than I expected. Uh, Jawan has done a good job coaching. <clears throat> Jawan has done a good job coaching. Clip that. I'm marking the time down for that right now. I'm clipping that immediately after this episode. 
I love yeah, it. So, I mean, credit credit to the credit to the boys in blue. Wow, thank you, Cart. So yeah, I think I think you said most of it, but the the difference between this Michigan State team where they're at right now and this Michigan team, and you look like you're about to hack up a lung. Are you that disgusted by giving Michigan like two sentences of praise? That's mm-hmm. <laughs> understandable. Um, so I I think the difference between the two teams is that the questions we had for Michigan preseason have been answered pretty much across the board by overwhelmingly exceeding expectations. Hunter Dickinson is way better than anyone could have realistically predicted for him as a freshman. I think he's an all big 10 guy immediately, as long as he stays healthy. I think he's a top four center in the conference in a conference that's loaded with Luca Garza, Trace Jackson Davis uh, and Kofi Coburn. And he's, to me, not far off that level of guy. Obviously, the offensive production isn't anything close to Luca. No one in the history of college basketball is close to that. But Hunter's a guy that you can pretty much count on 20 and 7 a night right now if he plays 30 minutes. And I think you're going to see those minutes go up at point guard. Same thing. Mike Smith is better than we could have reasonably expected. Um, great ball handler, great offensive player, very unselfish. I think the concerns with him were, you know, he's only been a gunner on bad teams historically. He put up crazy numbers, but how is that going to translate to being third, fourth option type? And he's totally loved that. I think the X factor for this Michigan team right now is that Mike Smith and Shondi Brown, the two transfers are guys that so clearly it's literally visible. If you're watching these games, they just want to be on a winning team. They've played six combined years of basketball on losing teams. They have never experienced high-level success. And I think there's an unselfishness to both of their games where, yeah, they could go out and get 20 on a given night, but they're totally content to just go out, in Sean D's case, to really defend at a high level, to go out and guard the other team's best wing scorer, and then offensively to just make the right play, shoot open threes, and facilitate. And then, you know, Michigan's deep. They're balanced, right? Isaiah Livers is just solid. He's not going to be a first-team all-conference guy, but he's going to shoot 40% from three, make open looks. Hunter Dickinson can be the go-to guy. And at this point, I don't even think they need Franz to take the next step that everybody expected him to. So we'll see. Yeah, and I think – and this is – I'm going to keep my Michigan uh, praise going. I think this is what's even scarier. The fact that Michigan has done a good job of, like you said, answering questions – like, imagine if they're, you know, the players who have stepped up to this point who we kind of didn't expect, or maybe we thought they would go to a different path, but it kind of did more of a positive path. Uh, imagine if, like, the Franz production catches up with that. Right. Imagine if we get, you know, a player in Isaiah Livers who I think has another level that he could take it to and that we have seen in his Michigan career in the past. And then you have a point guard like Mike Smith, and we haven't seen a point guard like Mike Smith with Michigan with, you know, having Xavier Simpson the past couple of years, it's been mostly defense, passing. Now they got an actual offensive threat at that position. Of course, he's lacking in other areas that Xavier was defensively, but it's just a whole different dynamic for this team. So, like I said, you know, wait and see, wait and see. Um, but up until this point, you know, snaps for, snaps for the boys amazing blue. I appreciate that. And yeah, I think I, the difference again to me with where Michigan is versus Michigan state is that if Michigan state or if Michigan finds themselves in a tight game, they know where they need to go. I think. And I think in the non-conference, their issues that overtime game against Oakland, it was a team still trying to figure that out. They thought it needed to be Franz. They thought 
if Franz was off, they didn't really know where to go. Then it needs to go to livers and a ball screen for livers. That's not the real answer. I mean, now if they're in trouble, if they go cold, it's throw the ball to Hunter Dickinson in the post. And then he's either going to get a bucket or a double team. He's such a high level passer. If you send a double, a guy's getting an open three. So I think that to me is the most reliable go-to guy that we've got in the state of Michigan as hoops fans right now. And I think on the flip side, Michigan state needs to find that. And I do think they have options. I think it could be Aaron Henry. I know I think you've said it needs to be Aaron Henry. It could be Rocket Watts. It could be Joey Hauser. But I, I don't think Michigan State knows what that answer is. And I don't think they get things on the right track until they figure it out internally first. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm interested to see uh, guys like, you know, I think we had one game this year where we had those three players who I thought would be Michigan State's kind of breakout guys and Rocket, Hauser, and Henry all play well. And that was the Duke game. And I think that was our best played game um, up until this year. So uh, this, these are the times when, you know, you have the, 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 the onus put on Aaron Henry to be the best player. It's times like this, where it's, you're, you know, you got to step up. We're only two in the Big Ten. We need a win. Uh, he missed some shots at the rim last game and had some turnovers, which I think he normally doesn't do. Um, and has two, what I would say, lackluster Aaron Henry games. Uh, so, you know, this is the time to be that best player. You have the ability to be, uh, go out there and, you know, whatever way, however, you got to find a way to get us a dub tomorrow. No excuses. Last thing, and then we'll wrap the college basketball segment for this episode. What is Aaron Henry shooting from three this season? Mm, I'm going to say like somewhere around the playoff Paul George range. He's taking 2.8 attempts per game from three. He's making them at a 13% clip. So I was right. <laughs> That's playoff P. Rocket, four attempts per game at a 30% clip. It's just hard to win if those are your two primary offensive options. Very true. But they're two guys that can shoot. So maybe it's as simple as they start making shots and they look a lot better. We'll see. I'd like to see a lot more Aaron Henry going to the basket, to be honest. Yeah. Me too. All right, let's get a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is presented by IKEA. Carter, you were at IKEA today. I was at IKEA today, and I got to shout out IKEA on the drip. They have bucket hats for sale. Like, that is something that I've never seen before. But shout out IKEA. Uh, your store is way too big, but it's got so much stuff. Y'all got great side tables, very low price and very chic lamps. Uh, I want to say a shout out to y'all. If any Ikea reps are watching this, uh, you know, kudos to y'all. Y'all got my nightstand looking bright, nice and well lit, you know, it's looking good. And the bucket hat drip is absolutely crazy. So shout out to Ikea, thank you. Walk out with a bucket hat, a plate, lunch, and a futon. Ikea, a big store for a big man with a big podcast. Hey, our van can never. All right, let's move to the NBA. Week one of the NBA is in the books. There's some teams that have surprised me. There's some teams that have disappointed me. But I'll throw it your way first. What are your biggest reactions to week one of professional basketball? Uh, I think that my biggest reaction would be uh, that the Nets are are here. Uh, The Nets are here. KD is back. Kyrie is back. And that team is dangerous they're going to be something they are going to be something uh Karis LeVert off the bench Steve Nash with the ankle showing drip uh <laughs> as long as they keep it together and they keep saging the marinas they're going to be a, they're going to be a 
you know, a team to be reckoned with. So I think the Nets are my biggest takeaway from week one. Me too. They are the one team I have with stock up after week one. I was a Nets skeptic. I believe I picked the under on their win total. I'm already regretting that. The most curious thing about the Nets to me right now is the way they're running their second unit rotation. They basically let Levert go be the best guy alongside four guys that were a playoff team last year. I mean, they're rolling out the team that they went toe-to-toe in the first round. I believe, was it was it the Rafters or the Bucks they played in the first round last year? I'm forgetting now, but I, it was a high-level team, right? And they, I mean, those games were close down the stretch for a couple games. Mm-hmm. So it's guys with playoff experience that... It, you know, it's nice for me to see Levert get a chance to still be that go-to guy because I was a little worried with KD back. He's going to get forgotten about. But, you know, it works really well because KD and Kyrie get to rest themselves. They don't lose a ton. I think they have the best second unit in the league right now. And then, like you said, Kevin Durant looks back and better than ever. And, God forbid, Kyrie thinks he is the best player on a title team and he might actually be right. Yeah, I, I mean, I think we need to maybe take a quick. Do we got to give Steve Nash some kudos? Because I mean, I think he up no. to the point. No, two we games don't. The what I mean, it's, we're not giving kudos after two games of an NBA season. But Claire being part of that second unit and playing the role that he is—is is that not kudos to Nash at all? No, it's not. Not two games into the season. If they're ten and zero after ten games, or nine and one, and guys are still looking good, and Katie and Kyrie aren't tweeting like cryptic burner messages about like weird shifts in the universe then sure but like the gravitational pull is going to be something that Kyrie uses in, as an excuse at some point this season okay yeah so all right that very well may happen but yeah the nets are my takeaway from uh week one of the, of the nba season for sure look if there's one thing i know Kyrie irving is a great player to have on your team when things are going well when things stop going well Kyrie Irving is not a great player to have on your team. So we'll see. If things go well all season, this team could easily win a title. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a scary thought that your best player can be affected by, like, if the winter solstice is, like, or the earth's, <laughs> like, off tilt by four degrees, he could be in – and he could be completely mentally off. That definitely scares me. But uh, as long as, you know what I'm saying, his uh, chakra stays in line and all that – whatever talk I'm, I'm good with the, the nets and how they're looking right now. That's a, hey, that's a very duo. When the ball goes up though, I mean, he's performing, you know, I'm a guy historically who's been ready to jump on Kyrie given the opportunity, but uh, oh, yeah. yeah, he's hooping, he's hooping and he's hooping in creative ways. All the off the dribble stuff looks great. The finishes. I mean, he's fun to watch when things are clicking. So we'll see. Yeah. Uh, you know, I thought you might've said the Clippers, but uh, they had a tough one today. I mean, Good Lord, down 50 at half, and they did not chip away in the second half either. No, no, it ended. They ended up losing by 51. So is Kawhi that important? I mean, is that are we saying that's why it was a 50-point loss, just Kawhi was out today? You want me to praise Kawhi and <laughs> Michigan on the same podcast? I wanted to give you a chance. I, I wanted to see what you say. A little bit too much of me. Okay. I don't – I mean, Kawhi doesn't make them win that game, but, like, where's, where's the heart from playoff P today? He said the game was on him, but you know, this that's what you get with Paul George. This is I'm not gonna fall for it. Paul George could have an MVP season this year, but it doesn't matter because once he touches them playoffs, the boy is Swiss cheese. Like he's garbage. It's just is what it is. Like, and I'm not gonna change my stance until it happens. So 
he can do all he can do all this during the regular season. I've seen this I've seen this book before. I ain't buying it though. We do have to give the Clippers a little love. The Serge Ibaka Nick Batum additions yeah. looked fantastic on uh, both the Christmas games and on opening night. Yeah, definitely good. And I think we we talked about it in the last episode. Uh, though it might not seem like it, Ibaka overall as a player is an upgrade, I think, for their, for their team concept over a Montrez Harrell. And that's no disrespect to Montrez Harrell because I think he's a great fit for the Lakers. I think he does what he needs to do for them, and he's a great player, or he's a good player for his role. But I think more so what, you know, the Clippers need defensively and shooting wise, you can get that from Ibaka and a guy who's been there before and done that before and has won championships. So it's a good player to have, I think. And um, despite the loss that happened today, the Clippers had did look good in those first two games as well. Luke Kennard got the start today, and this will be a good segue into talking about our team, the Detroit Pistons, but Luke Kennard looked like Luke Kennard. And I, for one, am thankful that we did not give that guy an extension because, man. <laughs> I, can't, I can't wait for the story to come out on what Luke Kennard has over Steve Ballmer. He's got to know something. Look, and I know there's Pistons fans who are super high on Luke Kennard, and I respect that opinion. Luke Kennard is a good rotation piece who's going to be great in his role off the bench for a contender. I am ecstatic that he is with the Clippers and he gets to play that role. Where I draw the line is Pistons fans who are like, what is our front office doing? How could we do that? When, I mean, what do we want out of Luke Kennard? 16 a night on a team that like is in between an eight seed and the 12th spot in the conference? Right, like there's no way we're crying over a 6'5 Kyle Singler. Like the dude is 6'5. That's disrespectful. Seven. I'm not letting oh, you do that. Bro, I'm sorry. He's what? He's 6'5 with a 5'9 wingspan. He's, he's got- 6'5. He is a bucket. He has more he, shake to his game and a little vision. But Any Pistons fan out there who was really trying to convince me that Luke Kennard and Donovan Mitchell are on the same level, I hope you hit every red light on your way to work every day for the rest of your life and hear Chance the Rapper on the radio. How dare I don't think you? anyone's trying to convince you of that, though, but. I, I mean, I hear Pistons fans still claiming this is the worst front office offseason we've ever had. We can't trust Troy Weaver. And you know what I wanted out of the season, Car? I wanted competitive losses. And we are two for two in that book. And I could not be happier. Here's what's abundantly clear to me about this Pistons team. The veterans that we do have are not good enough to beat even mediocre teams in the NBA. Blake Griffin looks even more hobbled than he looked at the end of last season. Jeremy Grant, God bless him. I think Jeremy Grant might be my favorite player on the Pistons at this point. He's like, on good nights, he'll give you maybe 20. On bad nights, he'll go 0 for 9 from the floor. And I'm here for the ride. I mean, I hope he has more 20-point nights than he does have 0-point nights because I hope we trade him at the deadline for something. But I'm all in. I'm happy with this roster with where we're at right now. I just wish they'd play some of the young guys a little more. I'd love to see some Sadiq Bay minutes. Yep, I definitely uh, am on this kind of the same. I mean, me and you are on the same page when it comes to where we want to see the Pistons and what we want to see happen. And I actually have a little trivia question for you. Who is currently leading the NBA in minutes played right now? Oh, my God. It's probably Derrick Rose. No, it is Blake Griffin. It's Blake. He he is not going to last. Like, this is – the tank is in formation. You can get in if you want to. So the tank is in formation, but I don't think Coach Casey knows. I don't think Dwayne Casey knows. I think Dwayne Casey, like, just looks at this roster and thinks, lose. 
well, I can't do that. I'm Dwayne Casey. Yeah, true. But, I mean, I, I want to see more Sadiq minutes. I even want to find a way to get Isaiah Stewart in the game just to see him get some minutes somewhere. Uh, the one alarming thing is I'm not really liking Sekou's, uh kind of rotation the way it is, I think. And I don't know what it is. It just is it, his confidence. I don't really know what's going on, but it just doesn't look right when he's out there to me. Well, I think the thing is he's never going to be like a first option. So when you throw him in the second unit, he almost has to play that first second option role. And I think what we've seen is both Svi Mikhailik and Josh Jackson have excelled being that first option on the floor with the second unit. Josh Jackson looks great. I could not be happier that we took a flyer on him. I think he'll either have value as a trade asset or value for a Pistons team that maybe is ready to compete two, three seasons from now, if he's still on the roster. Um, but I, I agree. Sekou is a little concerning right now. And I think the problem there is, I mean, Jeremy Grant's really redundant to having him on the floor. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what that turns into for Sekou. Maybe at the end of the year, the roster looks different than it is now. I also wish we'd let Killian Hayes play through some mistakes a little more. I know uh, a lot of people on Pistons Twitter, especially Nick Henkel, were, were going off about this after game two where, I mean, Derrick Rose is making some of the worst decisions you can see on a basketball court, and he's played all overtime periods of that Cavaliers game, whereas Killian is just yanked. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's definitely what I want to see, but maybe we're kind of trying to showcase D. Rose and then end up moving him and just give all that to Killian? Maybe. I mean, let me ask you this. This is a tough question, and I don't know if Pistons fans are ready for this question. But do we really believe in Killian Hayes? Yes. I don't want to overreact. That's that's a terrible way to even pose that question. Like, I yes, of course we believe in Killian Hayes. But like two games into his career, have you seen what you wanted to see out of Killian Hayes to believe he's the point guard of the future? I would say yes. Uh, if I had to answer that two games into the, I would like to answer that maybe twenty five or. I'm, I don't know. I think I've seen enough because even with like the shooting woes, I've seen enough in how he handles the pick and roll and just things that he does, uh, you know, out of the pick and roll decisions. Um, I think he's making the right. Uh, okay. He's had a couple tough ones, but he's a younger point guy. I think for the most part, he's making the right decisions or taking the right shots. He's just not hitting them. Um, but to be honest, I'm good with him just doing that. I'd rather see him out there working through that stuff and doing what he has to do than seeing Derrick Rose out there and getting a majority of the minutes. Uh, I'm definitely not, you know, team we made the wrong pick yet or anything like that. No, of course not. Of course yeah, not. So, uh, but uh, maybe, maybe I did want to see a little more out of Killian, but I'm not, like, panicked or anything. I mean, you and I were both huge Killian Hayes fans. This was the dream pick. We were and are ecstatic that the Pistons took him at seven. I think my gut take on Killian right now is he looks like he's playing with handcuffs on, both figuratively and honestly a little bit. Literally, it looks like he is not allowed to do certain things on the court. And it looks like even with the things he is allowed to do, he's just really tentative in doing them. Like I, I believe in Killian's ability to get into the paint pretty much whenever he wants right now. I believe in his ball screen reads, his vision, his decision-making, like all of that looks high level. This looks like a guy you should just entrust an NBA offense to and, and kind of let him go out there and go. 
But that's not what's happening. Killian's kind of just picking and choosing his spots, I think. And the problem with that right now is over 50% of the time when he picks a spot, he picks a James Harden step back three that he's hitting at like a 20% clip. Right. So I... I don't know what to make of that. Like, th- does that make me think maybe long term, like he has the confidence in his shot that he- someday he's going to make those shots? I think that's where I'm at right now, but it's a little confusing to be honest. Yeah, I'm looking up right now on Google Translate. Jusale, just go, <laughs> just go, man. No, no handcuffs. Just go, just do it. Just, just play, man. I seen, I seen his games overseas. I seen him play enough. I know that he's got the confidence just to go out there and go. So yeah. I'm just gonna chalk it up to him being young in his first couple games in the NBA, short training camp, maybe mentally something like that. Hopefully, Dwayne Casey's not doing anything to kind of like say like, all right, relax, you know. No, just let him go. Let him go out there. Let him spread his little French. I think he is. My read on this, honestly, is that That's it's scary. like scary. you need to run the offense, son. Like that scares me and it scares me too. But I mean, down the stretch, it was like, if Blake Griffin's not getting a touch at the high post against the two, three zone, like the Pistons didn't have a backup plan and we had three straight turnovers off of trying to get the ball to Blake. Right. So I don't know. We'll see. I'm optimistic. I love Killian, but uh, yeah, it's like the reads are there, but he won't make them. And I want to know why. Just, just do it, man. You can do it. (laughs) What was it? Jay Saleh? All right, let's get one more word from a sponsor. Today's episode is sponsored by What's in Our Cup. Carter, what's in your cup? Love my What's in My Cup sponsor. Today, I'm drinking on a Lagunitas Hazy Wonder. Uh, I recently located a new liquor store down the street from me that has a beer cave, and they have a lot of beers. And I saw this can, I was like, it's dope. And it's pretty good. So I'm drinking on a Lagunitas Hazy Wonder. It's 7%, so it's making me feel good on this Sunday. And uh, I'm enjoying it. It tastes good. Gee, what you working with? Mason jar or no Mason jar? Bucket hat cat. No, today, no Mason jar. Today, we've got a drink that my wife made me, which would be a tequila Sprite with two limes. And it it passes the taste test. Wait, now made it? Mm Mm-hmm. Ooh, dangerous. Heavy hand, heavy hand Patterson over there. I know her has been locked Hey, she knows how to make a drink. The girl works in the alcohol world. It's why I married her, Carl, among many reasons. She's got a heavy hand for a good reason. All right. Thank you to What's in Our Cup. Thank you to IKEA for sponsoring this episode. We've got a new segment today, Carl. We've got questions from the Sleepers audience. We reached out to the Sleepers community on Twitter and Instagram. Speaking of that, follow us on Twitter at Sleepers Media. Follow us on Instagram at Sleepers Media so that you can participate in these Q&As. We will do these going forward. We'll give you 24 hours, submit questions. We will give you a shout out and answer them on the podcast. So we've got five questions today. These are spanning all across our world of basketball. You'll get some Michigan. You'll get some Michigan State. You'll get some college hoops. And we actually have one NBA question even today. NBA lifestyle question. Okay. So question one, this was submitted from the wonderful Brian Bradley. What does Izzo need to change to get MSU back on track? Quick answer. I don't think that it's, I don't think it's on Izzo uh, for the, for the changes, to be honest. I think that, um, maybe he can do something with the rotation, maybe shortening it. Um, I think maybe the last game he did make a little mistake leaving Foster in a little longer than I thought he should have been in, getting bullied in the post against Wisconsin. 
But I think that, you know, this is a rare occasion where we can't look to the coach. I think the players got to look at themselves. Um, and more specifically, Aaron Henry and Rocket Watts need to look at themselves. And I think they need to step up. And I hope they will step up. Uh, so that I think that would be my answer for that one. Okay. I agree that guys need to play better. But I disagree that there aren't specific things that Izzo needs to do ASAP to help that happen. Why did I, why did I know that was going to be? I, I mean, think, like, I, we can't just sit here and say, like, oh, guys just got to shoot better. Yeah, like, you're, lucky, you're lucky I know Brian. Otherwise, I think <laughs> this would be you on your burner account asking a question just to tee you up for an Izzo question. Before I give my answer card, do you, I'm going to give you an opportunity. Do you want to stand by your slanderous tweets to me in the middle of that meltdown where I tweeted, that this is a roster management issue that, you know, Izzo basically has to choose between Rocket Watts when he's super inefficient and Foster Lawyer who's going to give up a bucket every single possession. And he has no other options, and that's on Izzo. I tweeted that. And you came right at my neck in the moment on that. I want to give you an opportunity. Do you stand by that, or do you owe me an apology? I stand by it. Why? I mean, that's a roster management issue. All right. I, can it be like half standby, half I apologize? Listen, I, here's, here's something I'm going to say. This is a public service announcement to all Michigan State fans that I know I am one of you. You need to understand this. I am a Spartan Ooh. graduate. Whoa. I watch oh, every wow. single Michigan State game. I was a member of the Izone for four years. I root for Michigan State, and I watch them. Spartan fans need to learn this. We can criticize Tom Izzo without being traitors. We can be Michigan State fans and we can say that Izzo makes a mistake from time to time. That doesn't mean that Tom Izzo isn't a Hall of Fame top five coach in the country. That he is. But Tom Izzo has not done a perfect job always. No, he has not. And Last game, I will give it to you. That was, I think, a part of that game was on coaching. I'll give that to you. That's what you want. I don't even – I'm not saying the game. I'm saying, like, the, the biggest issue other than the center position, which, again, who, who does that fall on that all the centers suck on this team other than Tom Izzo? I mean, like, the, there are two massive recruiting errors on the way this roster is built. And I think it's hard to evaluate where this team stands without looking back and saying, man, Izzo sort of made some mistakes here that have put this team in a hard spot. One might say. One did say, and one was criticized by his own podcast guest host. But co-host, not guest host. I was lashing out at anybody. Um, Back to Brian's question here. I think I had three things written down. I think you could go small ball in the front court. I think you should see some Malik Hall and Joey Hauser lineups together. I think you can trust both those guys and you got to somehow get five guys you trust on the floor at once. Right now, I feel like Michigan State plays four on five with either a bad center or foster lawyer. And I think we need to avoid those minutes at all costs. The easiest way to do that is Hall and Hauser together. I also think you need to trim the center rotation. I don't think we should be seeing Marcus Bingham right now. I know everybody wants him to be the starting center, but he, he doesn't have it right now. Maybe he does. Maybe he flips the switch, and by March he does. But if he gets more than five minutes a game right now, I think that's a massive mistake. And lastly, this is a crazy one, Cart. I think we should see some Aaron Henry point guard minutes. I'm not mad at that. I actually, G, I, I really like I liked all three of those, and I, I, I agree with them too. 
I think you you, you want to take a time stamp on that one as well. <laughs> I think those are some good suggestions. Uh, you know, because of what you call his roster mismanagement, he's got to make these adjustments and live with what he has. So it's either something like Henry point guard minutes or Hoggard minutes or something, something's got to change. So, um, you know, if he is the great hall of fame coach that he is, he makes those adjustments. Let me put my metaphorical positive bucket hat on here. Tom Izzo will make the adjustments. I think this team will be fine. They will make the NCAA tournament without question. They will be in the middle of the pack in the big 10, maybe even the upper middle pack. They will have a fine season when all is said and done. I believe that. I truly believe that with my heart and soul. But there are adjustments to be made. Hope he makes them sooner than later. Thank you, Brian, for the question. Question number two from the wonderful Luke Stumpos. Is Michigan the most underrated NBA portal in the last decade? Uh, no, because I think most of the players that end up going to the league end up being bums. Do they? Is Duncan Robinson a bum? Just set the record for most threes and a half on Christmas. Uh, Is Karis like LaVert a bum? We just talked about him on the podcast. About another Michigan player that played on uh, on Chris's day, DJ Wilson. Bum. Look. Dallas not in the league. I mean, do we need to go one by one through Michigan State's players? I don't think we want to do that. No, okay. Uh, I don't, do you think they're the most underrated, though? I mean, there's a lot of... So I, I was going to say no, and then I looked at the list. Here's the list. The top three are Kentucky, Duke, North Carolina. Obviously, none of those are underrated. Michigan slots in tied at fourth. They're tied uh, for... Th- this is most players currently in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Um, Michigan's tied at fourth with Arizona, Kansas, Texas, and UCLA. I mean, to me, from that group, Michigan is the most surprising name on the list. Although, if you follow Michigan basketball, you aren't surprised. But they're not, you know, that historical powerhouse like all the other schools on the list. I had one other name. Um, For the record, Michigan State is tied for 11th with eight players in the league. Michigan has 11. All the teams at four have 11. Uh, Florida State is tied with Michigan State with eight players in the league. And Florida State is on a just blazing recruiting trail. So I think uh, Florida State would be my non-Michigan answer, but I like the Michigan answer. Yeah, I think maybe I'm a little biased too because even though I do, you know, I'm not, as you know, a Michigan fan. I can't give them – Oh, you're not? No, I'm not. But I can't give them their flowers. They do a good job on development. There's a lot of dudes that come in there and maybe aren't the player or or unheralded it – unheralded, sorry, unheralded. Or, you know, they they do a good job of developing players and, you know, capitalizing on when they need to capitalize with big games and get players to the next level. Like a, a guy like DJ Wilson was able to play his, play his way into a top 20 pick. Like that's, you know. Yeah. I, you got to give them their credit. Uh, but I guess I wouldn't really say underrated because I kind of expect that out of Michigan, I guess. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think people in the state of Michigan probably have come to expect that. Question for you, Cart. So if Michigan put 11 guys in the NBA in the last decade, I think 10 of those are John Beeline guys. One of them was Jamal Crawford, who preceded him. Will Jawan Howard come in with less or more than 10 players in his next decade as Michigan's coach put in the NBA? I think more. I think more because based on – Based on him as a recruiter, I think he's one of the best recruiters in the country. Okay. So I like that. Mean, I mean, there could be dudes that are top 20 or McDonald's All-Americans. Maybe you have a down year, uh, but they could just, you know, based off their talent, they'll be able to be first-round picks or at least draft picks 
at worst. I think it'll be more of a if you broke it down even more, uh, like beeline guys or guys that play like three plus years at least and go to the NBA. I think that's well, that <laughs> have a lot more guys that are one and done. I think. See, the problem with beeline guys is that they were guys that were supposed to be three to four year players and. He ended up putting them in the league in two years, and that's what gave him down years. I mean, the the little stretch in between national championship runner-ups they had was right after Nick Stauskas and Karis Levert go pro, and Levert was a two-star recruit, and Stauskas is a guy you couldn't have anticipated was going to be in the league in two years. Did Levert play two years? Levert ended up playing four years, but he was hurt for one of them. Okay. So, I mean, that's – I don't know. I don't. I don't think it's like oh, Beeline took four year guys. Like Wagner was a three year guy. Um, trying to think of who else. DJ Wilson was a two year guy. Only played one season at Michigan in the rotation. Crazy, nuts. Um, all right, let's move to third question again. Thank you, Luke. Favorite to win Coach of the Year and why? This is from our good friend Chase. You want to go first on this? Yeah, uh, I'm sticking with my preseason pick and and Steve Nash. You got the drip. As long as it keeps everything together, I think that uh, I think one of the biggest accomplishments for him as a coach is if he keeps this team on track. Like if they get through a whole year playing at top level uh, in his first year, when a lot of people had doubts that Steve Nash could really pull this team together and make it happen, I think he kind of rides that wave. Uh, rides kind of the KD coming back story as well. I think it could be a per- it could be a perfect storm or a perfect disaster for them. So I'm still going to err on the side of it being a perfect storm, and I think that. Uh, Nash is uh, my – I'm still sticking with my preseason pick, Steve Nash for Coach of the Year. So I interpreted this question as Coach of the Year in college basketball. So I will will endorse Carter's pick for Steve Nash at the NBA level, and I'll give out two answers for college. Yeah, well, my college is Mark Few. We'll have both covered. I I don't have Mark Few on my list because I can't give Coach of the Year to a guy who was preseason number one in the country. I just can't out of principle, even if they go undefeated. Wait, can I get – is it Shaka Smart, can I guess? It's not Shaka Smart. You can keep guessing, though. I have two names. Okay, last one. Is it Greg Gard? It's not Greg Gard. I don't know. You go ahead. Number one, who I think will actually win the award, is Kelvin Sampson of Houston. They are 7-0. and they, uh, They've beaten Texas Tech, South Carolina, UCF. They're a team. Honestly, you want to talk about Gonzaga running the table. I would not be surprised to see Houston end up with one to two losses max. I think they're going to be the favorite in every single game the rest of the season. Um, and then my second pick is one that if the season ended today, I think would have serious consideration, Steve Peichel from Rutgers six and one. I think if Rutgers were to finish with like a top four finish in the big 10, he's definitely big 10 coach of the year, maybe a national coach of the year guy, but I, I think Rutgers will fall off a little bit. That's some good picks. You know, I'm, I'm team Houston. So I really love that Samson pick. Yes, sir. Quentin Grimes. We love him. All right. Uh, the next one, love this question from Drew, non-conference All-American teams. Okay, so let me make sure I did this right. I had up <laughs> to this point the All-Americans for, for college basketball, correct? Yeah, so I, I have a list of five names from the season thus far in college okay. basketball. All right, so here's my five, the Big Cats, current All-Americans. I have two guards, two forwards, and a center. I got Io DeSumo from Illinois. At PG, all right, guard. I have Jalen Suggs from Gonzaga at the other guard. I have Drew Timmy at one forward spot. I have Corey Kispert at the other forward spot. 
And rounding out the top five, or my All-American five, I have Luca, Luca Garza at the center position. Who's and your National Player of the Year? I'm sorry, what? Who's your National Player of the Year? My National Player of the Year is Luca Garza. I like the picks. Wait, can you read the five again to me one more time? Yeah, sorry. Uh, so I have Io DeSumo, uh, Jalen Suggs, Drew Timmy, Corey Kispert, and Luca Garza. So you have three Gonzaga players. I do. On your first team, first team All America list. I did. I, I, I mean, yeah, I do. Wow. Okay. Uh, I have two. I only have one different name, and I I left off Jalen Suggs. Actually, I'm going to give the love to Corey Kispert this time. I have Io Desumu, Corey Kispert, Drew Timmy, Luca Garza, and for my other guard spot, I'm going with Cade Cunningham. Okay, so that's funny you did that because I was going back and forth between Cade Cunningham and Jalen Suggs, and I love Cade. I do. But, I mean, Suggs' numbers, they they speak for themselves, and he is, he's on the better team. Yeah, so I, I said earlier this week the, the thing that got me in the fight with Gonzaga fans was that Jalen Suggs is a top-ten player in the country, Drew Timmy's a top-ten player in the country, but Corey Kispert's not. I think up until this point in the season, Kispert's numbers are the best of anyone on that Gonzaga team, though. So if we were really calling it today, I think you have to put him on the the All-America team. Um, to me, if you look at this list, I think Garza, Desumu, and honestly Kispert are three no-brainers. I think mm-hmm. it makes sense to have a, a second from Gonzaga no matter what, whether it's Timmy or Suggs. I would personally go Timmy because I think he's their best player. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think... You could go Suggs. He's in the mix. There's probably some other names you could throw around off the top of my head. I honestly don't have any that I would take over Cade or Jalen Suggs, but I don't know. Cade's been the real deal. I think, you know, he's 18, six and three right now on pretty good percentages doing it all for that Oklahoma state team. So he passed the eye test for me for sure. You know Suggs numbers right now? Cause I have them in front of me. And Give them to me. Give them to me. 15, six and six. 56% from the field and 48% from three. So I'm going to post this and we're going to get a retweet from our boy, Sean from making the madness who has every Gonzaga fan in the world following him. And they're going to somehow see this segment and they're going to come after me with pitchforks again, but I, you can't give first team all America honors to a guy averaging 15 a game. True. That is, that, that is true. And to be honest, I, I think that if Baylor didn't have games canceled and they had a bigger scale, I would have had like a guy like Jared Butler there. Yeah. I think he would have had the numbers to be there and then playing on a really good Baylor team. But up until this point, his numbers aren't really there. He's had, he's had a couple of bad shooting games as well, which kind of skews percentages. But uh, I don't, you know, I'm, you know, I'm sticking with it. I don't feel bad about putting three Gonzaga dudes on there. Cade yeah. would have been my other pick. That's what I was really going back and forth with is Cade and Jaden Suggs. Yeah, I did. I wanted Jared Butler. I'm glad you brought him up. He is the one guy I looked up when considering the fifth spot, but 14 a game, not going to get it done. He's actually their second leading scorer behind Teague at Baylor right now. Um, I do think, you know, there was talk, could Cade Cunningham sneak into the national player of the year conversation? I think that answer is a resounding no. I don't think that's because of anything Cunningham has done. I think it's just because this is an unprecedented season from Luca Garza. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's like the, the numbers are stupid. 20, 29, 10, 63% from the field. I think he has the greatest PER all time. Like yeah, there's a chart out there. I'll try to find it and we can link it after this. I but think on any level of basketball too. Like 
NBA, college yeah. basketball. It's the greatest PER ever. It's literally so there, there's a specific graph of college basketball individual seasons, and you basically want to be in the top right corner. And Luca Garza is literally at the highest bar you could possibly be on both. The only guy even close, like he's in a hole. He's the only dot within inches of where he is on the chart. The only guy in his range anywhere close is Trey Young from his one crazy season where he was super high usage. Um, but then it's just a huge blob and you can't tell who anybody else is. So Luca's astronomical this year. Also, I, I'm actually pretty bummed that, the funny thing about that graph is there's like a guy who's six levels or six places behind him. And it's Luca Garza from last year. Right. So it's like, it's, he's literally got two of the top PBR hey, all time. people told me Iowa couldn't get better year to year. And Luca just heard that chewed it up, spit it out and said, I'm going to go for 30 and 10 on 60% from three this year. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. I don't know if he can sustain it. We'll find out in big 10 play, but not putting it past him. I do want to quickly just say, the one thing that bums me out about how good Luca Garza has been is that no one nationally is appreciating what we're getting from Ayo Desumu right now. Yes. He's averaging 24 a game, seven rebounds, five assists, 52% from the floor, 44% from three. I mean, this guy is not only high usage, he's efficient as hell. The one concern with him was that he couldn't shoot from three. He's doing it off the dribble mm -hmm. with a ton of attempts per game. I mean, any other year, I think 24, 7, and 5 on those percents is like a runaway national player of the year type season. And, and he and just and has no chance. And he might not even win Big Ten player of the year with those numbers. Right. It's absurd. Um, I do think, I, I'll say this, I think between Garza and Io, Io is more likely to sustain those numbers through Big Ten play. I agree. I'll, I'll, yeah, I'd say the same. So we, we shall see how it plays out, but it sounds like you and I are close to agreement there. Uh, last question of the week from the listeners. This comes from Kelly, who asked, if your fiancé could marry a basketball player, who would it be? Since you are the only one of us two with a fiancé, I'm going to let you handle that question. Yeah, shout out Kelly for this question. Um, I've heard a couple of NBA players, you know, yeah, not too many, but I have heard a couple. But one of them's okay with me because it's uh, Michael Porter Jr., who has been called my doppelganger from time to time. Well, so I, I want to ask real quick on this: Are do you are you the one calling him your doppelganger, or are other people calling him your doppelganger? No, other people are calling me it. I'm not saying you don't look like Michael Porter Jr., but I am saying that you did text me individually this week after a couple drinks and said Michael Porter Jr. really does look like me. Cause I was just like looking at him. I was like, damn, like he really does look like, <laughs> but, uh, I also used to get Sean May, but I lost a couple of pounds recently. So I yes, kind of took that one and went, uh, Michael Porter Jr. And the other one is actually Anthony Tolliver, which is really pisses me off. Cause she just likes him. Cause she sat courtside at a game with him and he passed her the ball. She shot it once. Luckily I wasn't there cause ain't no NBA player passing my girl the ball and, you know, playing, playing shoot whatever that ain't happening in front of me. But uh, those are the two for me. So. Counterpoint, though, wouldn't you rather she end up with Anthony Tolliver because he's lame and you could likely get her back? Like if Michael Porter Jr. stole your girl or my girl, that's just a tough break, right? Uh, uh, Michael Porter Jr. is kind of lame, too. He wears a beanie, whether it's hot or cold outside, and I really can't vibe with that. He also didn't think COVID was real. so Yeah, he's kind of he's a little strange. He went to, he's got a little Kyrie in him. 
a little too much. That's not a good thing for his career prospects. But all right. Well, thank you. Thank you, Kelly. Appreciate the question. Thank you to everybody who participated in the Sleepers Q&A this week. Again, follow us on Twitter and Instagram so that you can whoa, submit whoa, your whoa, questions. Wait a damn minute. Are we not getting an answer from you? Well, I don't have a fiance, and the question was posed. Oh, my. It's your wife. I mean, you really want an answer? I put, I put a ring on that. That means nobody's getting that. You'll be there soon. Give, give about 12 months, right? You'll be there soon. Yeah, you're right. Fine. My answer would be someone super lame like Alex Caruso. <laughs> uh, NBA champion, the Caruso? I mean, yeah, he has a ring. But, like, I got three high school state tennis championship rings. So, that's like an NBA finals ring, right? I mean, one might say. One could say. All right. Um, pick off the last segment of the week. Let's revisit what happened last week. We both went two and three in our best bets on this podcast. I had a bad week for daily picks, by the way, but I appreciate everybody sticking with me. I'm seeing the love. People telling me they need the picks. I wake up in the morning. I got a tweet to me saying, what are the plays today? I got likes coming at me from all over the place when I take an off day. I appreciate it, folks. And we're going to get things back on track this week. I feel good. I feel well-rested. The holiday spirit went through me. I've got a clear head. I see the vision, and we're going to come in with good bets this week. Uh, last week, last week, two and three, both of us, but I'm technically 1-0 because I won the pickoff by picking the Badgers to beat the Spartans. So I'm going to carry positive momentum. I'm 1-0 on the show against Carter, and we're going to pick five games again this week, starting with the Michigan State Spartans at the Minnesota Golden Gophers at the barn. Go on Michigan State. Go on Michigan State. They're going to get it done. They have to. Have to. Tennessee at Missouri. Fun game right there. Two undefeated yeah, teams. Shout out, Sean. Uh, I'm rolling with the Vols. Love them. Love Tennessee. Taking the Vols as well. Although I, I honestly wouldn't be surprised if Missouri wins that game. And depending on what the spread is, that might be a best bet. Home team plus Very points true. play. Very true. Um, game three, the Wolverines at Maryland. Going with the Wolverines. Oh, man. I, okay, I'm going to do the same thing again. If you're going to pick Michigan, I'm going to flip it because I truly do think Michigan's going to lose one of these games to a team they should beat, especially on the road. So I'll take Maryland. Okay. Wow. I'll be ecstatic if I'm wrong. Iowa at Rutgers. Taking Iowa. A lot of people are telling me Rutgers is real. And Iowa is not guarding anyone. They never have. They never will. So, like, Rutgers at home – is juicy, I think, here, even though I really like Iowa. It is. They had a, they, I know in the last game, too, they were missing their big man, Cliff. Uh, I don't know. Amaruyi. Yeah, I know he was missing. I don't know if it was COVID or injury, but I'll be on the lookout for that. But I think that uh, Iowa needs, I think they, that loss against Minnesota might have been a wake up call or hopefully a wake up call. And I think they bounce back and they get a win. Okay, like this that. is my official hashtag spite Joe Toussaint play of the week. I'm going to take Rutgers. Joe Toussaint single-handedly cost Iowa a loss. They cost me a daily picks loss by one, missing two free throws. Not one, not a front end. He missed two free throws to win the game, and then he came down and went under a screen on Marcus Carr and got a horrible hand. It's elementary stuff. I mean, I would legitimately bench my freshman high school basketball player for making that mistake. You hate so. to see it. You really hate to see it. So we're taking Rutgers to spite Joe Toussaint 
And that leaves us with the pickoff of the week this week, Carter, the Texas Longhorns at the Kansas Jayhawks. Maybe the game of the week. Really good game. I am going to go against what I typically do because you know me, I'm always rolling with Kansas when they're at the fog. But I think Texas makes a statement this game. I think they get a win at the fog. I think that Texas front court is going to be a, you know, a big advantage in this game. Uh, if Kansas does go small ball, which I think they end up will end up doing because I think that uh, Texas's front court can play McCormick off the floor. Um, and I think that Texas gets it done. Um, I think they use their guard play and their front court play. They got a lot of guys who've been there before, played at Kansas before. I think they get it done. I think they pull off the upset on the road. So, Carter, at the beginning of the season, you and I went through the preseason top 25, and we checked boxes for every team saying either they're overrated, they're underrated, or they're properly rated. And I think damn near every single team we said was overrated, the North Carolinas, the Dukes, the Kentuckys of the world, were all super overrated. And I think we could look back and listen to that and feel great about the preview that we gave the people. We made one major mistake, Carter. We said Kansas was overrated. Mm -hmm. Kansas was not overrated. Kansas may have been underrated at around the 10th, 11th spot. They were coming in in preseason polls that I had seen. This to me is a team that is probably a top five team in the country right now. Um, I love this Kansas Jayhawks team. They proved a lot to me with gutty wins against West Virginia and Texas Tech. Jalen Wilson, Marcus Garrett, Oshay Agbaji. They just got dudes, I believe, in their starting lineup. Say his, say his name, G. Oh, who's his name? McCormick? No, no. The Scooter Braun. Oh, my God. I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. That is not the dude. They have four dudes. They don't have five dudes. Christian Brown. Christian Brown, a.k.a. Scooter Braun, uh, the biggest liability on a good team in college basketball. But that said, I'm taking Kansas. I think McCormick actually was great against the West Virginia front line. He was the best front court player in that game. So if he can do that, I think he's ready for the test against Texas. And more importantly, you just picked three straight away teams to win. So I'm just going to go ahead and mark this week down as a win for me. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Gregory. Hey, one of us knows what it feels like to win. Right, one man. of us may discover that someday. We'll find out. Okay. Come on. We're still in this together. Let's not forget that. And we have one last segment that we said we were going to hit that we didn't, and I want to get to this quickly. So Carter and I collectively made a list in college basketball of championship contenders. We have 10 right now, 10 teams that – are the only 10 teams that him and I collectively feel confident in saying we could see a world where this team won a national title. If your team is not on this list, that does not mean we don't think they're a good team. That does not mean we don't think they could make a final four run. We just cannot envision them winning a national championship this year. This list will not go up. We will not add teams to this list on an ongoing basis between now and March, but we will cross teams off for now. There are 10 teams and those 10 teams are, can you give me a drum roll, Cart? That wasn't a drum roll. <laughs> we don't hear that. Like, you got oh. a table or something? Give me something. Dude, I was just doing it on the table. That, that, well, we just heard it now. Good Lord. This is falling off the rails. The 10 teams are Gonzaga, Baylor, Villanova, Kansas, Wisconsin, Houston, Tennessee, Illinois, Texas Tech, and Texas. Those are our 10 teams. Uh, you may 
Notice right away, Iowa is not on there. They're not. Michigan, Michigan State, not on there. Not on there. Any comments, any thoughts on the list, Cart? Uh, I'd actually like you to pick your personal favorite on that list. My personal favorite is Houston on that list. I've been saying it in a couple of shows we've had in the past, a couple of discussions that we've had. I think this Houston team is really good. Uh, and they got the, they got the guard play and they got the senior, you know, the older guard play as well, I think to make a run. Um, and I really like this team. I really like this team. I love that. I like Houston too. You were early on them. You've uh, convinced me I need to take them more seriously and watch them. And I have, and they're very good. I think my personal favorite on this list is Tennessee. I think they follow the Gonzaga formula of just having really six guys you could consider starters. I think the best version of this Tennessee team will be one late in the season where Keon Johnson and Jaden Springer are, you know, on the court at the beginning of games and our go-to guys throughout the game. Right now, they still sort of feel like they're finding their place on the roster. But you add that to Fulkerson, Eve Pons, uh, Vescovi. I mean, they, they just got dudes. So I think Tennessee yeah. wins the SEC running away. Definitely. And they got, they got a lot of, like you said, I think untapped potential. Like their ceiling is very, very high. When it, if it all comes together, that's going to be real scary. They're good right now, but they have the potential to be great. I think they're the only team outside of Gonzaga Baylor that has a ceiling in that group with Gonzaga and Baylor. We'll see if they get there. I love that statement, man. That's the way to end it, man. Wait, I, I, can I end it with one other question for you? Last question. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I made this comparison to someone at Christmas and I want to know what you think of it. This Illinois team reminds me of the 2013 Michigan team, the Trey Burke, Michigan team. And here's why that Michigan team was not dominant during the regular season. It was very clear that they had the talent of an elite team. They had like two guys you could point to immediately that were returning guys, Burke Hardaway, who were probably better than the other team's best two players. They had freshmen in Stauskas and GR three, kind of like Kurt Bello and Miller who were streaky, had good games, some bad games, but they never figured it out in the regular season. They were fourth in the big 10. They were a four seed in the tournament. And then all of a sudden things clicked and Trey Burke was the baddest dude in the country. And I think, I think that's what you're going to see from Illinois. They've struggled three losses. Uh, I'm, I'm not mad at that at all. G. That's a good comparison. I'm not mad at that. That's my cop. Come I'm March. Io DeSumo, baddest dude in the country. Wow, two statements. That, all right, G. I see you, man. Go ahead. I see you. All right. That's going to wrap it for the Sleepers Podcast this week. Stay tuned, though. We have another episode dropping this week, our first guest episode since the relaunch. Car, you want to tell them who the guest is? Yes, so we will be having our boys from Juco Advocate on the show. Um, you know, we re recently struck up a relationship with these guys on the Locker Room app, and, you know, they really know their stuff really know the game of basketball, have an interesting story as well. I mean, really looking forward to speaking with them, uh, asking them some questions and learning kind of more about them. And uh, it's definitely going to be a good episode. So make sure you guys tune in for that one. It's going to be a good one. And if you don't follow Juco Advocate already on Twitter, I highly recommend it. Anybody who is anybody on the coaching side of the world of college basketball or in the media side of college basketball, I would say considers these guys a must follow. Um, they're newsbreakers. They help guys at the junior college level get placements on to division one basketball rosters and beyond. They do a ton of great work 
in the space of college basketball. So looking forward to that conversation. You can stay tuned. That episode will drop later this week. And we've also got some other planned episodes with guests coming later this month and beyond. We're going to try to do two to three episodes a month with a guest. Uh, One guest, I don't want to give away the name card, but I'm pretty excited for it. Can we say, I think it's fair to say this, this player has one of the most famous shots in Breslin Center history. I'll give you that. We can say that. All right. Well, it's not, and not too much, though. Come not, on. Too much, not, but, too much. not too much. Not too much. But, hey, it's time to jump on board. Um, and, again, subscribe, Sleepers Media, on YouTube. We appreciate everybody, and we will talk to you later this week. Okay. Hey, remember, shoot hoops, not people. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.